This was a very strange story. <laughs> you call it a story. It's more like, is it an essay? Is it? It's a persuasive essay <laughs> in some level, isn't it? Let's get into it. Hit me, Borges. I mean, Don Quixote. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure we're going to go down the rabbit hole. But I think you bring up a really interesting question is, why persuade me? I know you haven't read this story, but I really had these vibes of Pale Fire by Vladimir Nabokov. I think I told you about it maybe like a year and a half ago that it was just like one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life. And it was like, I can't remember how many line poem. And then there was a bunch of criticism on the poem and then a glossary. But every single part of it was the book. And what happened was it was like this critic was critiquing the poem, but he kept he kept taking like a sideline to explain, well, let me tell you the true meaning of this. Like you don't understand. I knew the I knew the author. This is what he meant by it. And you can tell that he was just going on these long diatribes for the sense of perverting the story to match his view, which brings up a really good question about when it comes to literary interpretation and criticism, right? Where do where does the author hand off to the reader for the reader to carry on the torch? And, you know, and then when is it the reader's responsibility to say, like, how far do I carry that torch? What matters when I'm carrying that torch? Right. And how much do I of myself can I inject or keep from injecting into the story? We've read quite a bit of Borges on this channel. I take it that when he's giving me this responsibility, and, and I, I do take it as a responsibility, especially that we make videos about it and we talk about it and we have discussions, I feel like Borges is telling me, with this story in particular, that you're allowed to criticize and have your own opinion, and there's nothing wrong with that. That he read Don Quixote, or he's read he read something that inspired him to write this story, and he wanted to be hypercritical of it to the point of almost annoyance to show you that that's okay. And I appreciate him giving me that permission. I love that part of this where they showed the two lines, like the line written by by Cervantes and the line written by Pierre Menard, right? And they're the exact same. But then he goes on about how infinitely better this new translation or the new, you know, interpret not interpretation, the 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 drawing the same conclusion of of Don Quixote is, right? And clearly they're the same line, right? But we're injecting like, well, the author's meaning was this. And how much of it really was the author and how much of it was really our interpretation of it, right? Because we do have responsibility, as does the author, to lead us in certain directions as much as possible. But neither one is absolute in my opinion, right? And I love this quote, to your point, kind of making fun of... of the process of reading. I don't want to say he's making fun of critics, right? Like we're all critics. We're all readers and all part of the game. But there's this quote where he says, Menard has perhaps unwittingly enriched the slow and rudimentary art of reading by means of a new technique, the technique of deliberate anachronism and fallacious attribution. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's great about it is if you took a story verbatim, and rewrote it or recorded it and just attached your name to it, say you took a Poe story, a Borges story, and you read it or retyped it out verbatim, 
maybe change just the title or put it in a new cover and put it in a library or gave it out to high school students or college students, because their lives are so different than ours of our personal experiences, their interpretation of that book would be completely different, I think, than the one that they that 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 author wrote just because of you giving it to them opposed to them checking it out with a different author's name on it. That, that's going to change things, which is and crazy because you will have these different lenses that you will be seeing the work through. And I think that's kind of what I interpreted as one of the major points is, is that your experiences will help define what you are reading and how you will interpret that reading. And I think it's worth pointing out, when we started this channel, you came from a historian background. Your job was to try to put aside your own prejudices and knowledge in the same way that Pierre Menard has to forget what happens between the 16th and 19th century <laughs> or whatever it was, right? Like your job is to try to think contextually through the people that wrote it, what was going on. And that's Pierre Menard's quest, right? Like to, to come to the same conclusion of Don Quixote, not to write it, not to rewrite it, not to copy it word for word. But to come to that same conclusion, which now, as you're talking about, you're, you're four years into this journey of videos on this channel, and I think we've rewired you a little bit. I think there's two things. One, talking about our own personal journey here with, with Borges and the channel and all the stuff we've done, it would be interesting to look, chart out, map it, of if you look at when we first started discussing and analyzing stories four years ago, of what subjects we consistently went to. I was always looking at things through basically two lenses, historical and religion. And if you map out how many times we we honed in on those things, those specific topics, and, and then we tracked how many, what you did as well, you would probably see the first couple of years, those two subjects, almost every video, every story, especially me, I would, I would use something in those venues. And then as we get better and better and more experienced and more read, and I think that's kind of the point of all of this is you'll see, we start branching out to other things. And you taught me about poetry and we taught, we learned about music and we did, you know, economics and, you know, we did philosophy and all these other things branch and open up. And I, I think that that's the great thing about reading and why this journey is so important for me personally. The second thing that you talk about, I think, is ownership, right? Who owns this story? Is it the author or is it another author? Is it a person that can tell the story better? You know, some just because somebody has a good story doesn't mean they're a good storyteller. doesn't mean they're a great writer. Uh, and then who has the story's best interest in heart? Is it the author? Is, is it the publisher? Is it the reader? There's so many dynamics to try to look at these stories. There's so many facets to it. And I think that's what gives these layers of Borges within Borges, within us, within you, within me, <laughs> within the channel. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and, and you bring up a good point, right? Because, you know, we, we've touched on like the historical aspect of how you would and you and I might interpret the story differently. And my, my weakness would be philosophy. I'm always interested in philosophy. I've read philosophy for a long time. Never been good at it, but I'm always looking at it, right? Well, what is, where's that intersection with, with how this story plays out? 
Because if you look at certain texts that have been around for a while, so one that hasn't been around that long, but you know enough for it, I think, to change contextually, is Gone with the Wind, right? The way that we look at that and the racist attitudes in there, I think there's more fine-tuned elements of, well, what does this mean? And what is a victim of the time versus what is reinforcing potentially stereotypes or harmful behavior, right? Which at the time... I don't know if there was as much criticism on that and how eternal are these messages, right? Because if an author is trying to become eternal, right, that's almost impossible because throughout time, people are going to resonate with the text differently. And you can even see that maybe a little bit with the Bible, right? If we're going to talk about it being immortal in the world of God, word of God, right? Maybe it's infallible. Maybe it's, it's perfect. And the only text that stands up over time. But you can definitely see some of those headliner stories. Like if we're going to talk about some of your religious, you know, draws and attitudes, you've heard about some of those controversial situations of people like interpreting things in wildly crazy different ways where a historian's going to come along and be like, no, that is not how people thought back in the day. There's no way that's what it meant. But that doesn't invalidate necessarily how that person feels. It could be wrong but they might still feel a certain way and read from the text a certain way. So like having like this immortality in text is almost impossible considering the context constantly changed in which it's, in which it's being read. And another thing changes as well. And again, things that I never really thought about and took into consideration when looking at analysis is language. We've, we've, we've picked specific stories talking about and, and use them as examples of how language changes and your interpretation of that language changes. And then just like this story we're reading here from Borges, it wasn't written in English. So we're having to rely on an interpreter to give the message of Borges to us. It's not going to be exact. It's not going to be exact. And then on top of all of that, you're re-reviewing history. You're re-reviewing all this information, again, through your own personal experiences and through your own time's personal experiences, where when you read something in, when we were kids in the 1980s, you're going to look at it very differently than what words are accepted or not accepted. And then if you go back to the 1880s, <laughs> you know, you, you can't even fathom that. And I think that's the great thing about here is Borges is, again, giving us permission for it to be okay to accept, accept is, a, you know, a, a lucrative term here, you know, what you're willing to accept. But I don't think that you're going to erase history. You don't want to erase what it is, but accept what it is and, and go with that. Let's focus in on something that I think I think one of the more interesting elements of this story is, and we didn't even talk about the premise, but Pierre Menard wants to come to the same conclusion as Don Quixote. That is to recreate Don Quixote, but not looking at it and copying it, but literally like like as if he were coming up with the idea of it. And it would right. be the exact same. We've all heard the monkeys on the keyboard theory, the library of Babel, right? Like theoretically, someone could potentially have created it with enough creation and enough time. I get it. But, but the idea of it being deterministic of if I live like Don Quixote and I forget all this history and I learn to fight the Moors and the Turks, that I could come to the same idea as Don Quixote, I think is actually rather interesting. Not just from a deterministic free will perspective, but from the idea that, how do I put this? You did Civil War reenactments, right? Where you participated yes. in dressing up in the blues and the grays. It, it wasn't the same thing, right? Like you weren't literally trying to 
shoot your friend and have the exact more. There's there's a fantasy element of of reliving that. Tell me more as I go down this I like this tribe of reliving someone else's life in a sense. Tell me more about about your draw for that first. So for me, it was preserving history. This is a way to keep it alive and to kind of be in touch with the roots of our country at a pivotal point in the history of the United States of what were we going to be? We were defining ourselves by are we going to have slavery? Are we not going to have slavery? What would that look like? And if we were going to allow these states to leave, then were we truly a united country? And putting on those uniforms, whether whatever color it was, didn't really matter. I was out there with my friends, uh, having an experience, a unique experience. And, and it, it wasn't just about the fighting and the battles and the guns and all that was fine. But really, it was the most memorable times that I, I when I think about them now, is sitting around that campfire and telling stories and just having a nice, peaceful time. But it, it really is about that camaraderie. I think to a similar situation where I was in a band. And you, if you heard of the band Pantera, like this heavy metal oh, band, like I, I actually I have a, heard of that one. <laughs> okay, okay. So I was in a heavy metal band in high school and we had written various songs, recorded some CDs, stuff like that. And reinventing the steel, which I think was Pantera's last album, studio album came out. And the first song, they go into this riff at one minute in that is literally drums, guitars, vocals, no exaggeration, a riff that we wrote. We were on our way to Ozfest, I think, like we had just purchased this album, like it just came out like a couple months earlier, and we're listening to it, and it was three of the members of the band were in the car. And our jaws dropped when we're sitting there, because literally, we had written this before this album came out, this was not a single that came out, there's no way we've ever interacted with this band. Right, but we're both trying to create music, heavy metal, in this situation, and we both came to the same conclusion, and our jaws just dropped like we couldn't believe it. And I'm I'm kind of thinking about your point earlier about okay, preserving history, feeling connected with history, right? And there was like this certain feeling that we had that we were on the right track, right? We wrote a riff exactly, drums, guitars, vocals. The same way a major out, like artist that sold hundreds of thousands, if not millions of records worldwide uh, over time, right? And, and that gave us this validation. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, what was Pierre Menard's really end goal here, right? To, I, I don't, to me, I, it's almost like, did he want to feel connected to history, connected to Cervantes, to this book? There's something about his draw in the same way that the, the persuasive essay here is trying to convince us of the importance, the way that Pale Fire had a specific angle that he that there, uh, the, the narrator was trying to convince us of the criticism too. There, there's a certain element of persuasive elements of feeling connected with things that I think is kind of happening behind the scenes here. To your story about the, the music, I always think about the idea, if everything is possible in some reality or not, you should be able to go to your dryer at least once and open it up after the clothes are dried and everything would be 
perfectly folded inside. Like that's possible. <laughs> like you open it up and all the socks yeah. have somehow come together. All the shirts are folded perfectly. The towels would be folded perfectly. The jeans are folded. Like that's possible. Now, not very mm. probable, but in some reality, somebody's opened up their dryer before and everything was just sitting there perfectly folded. Now, to the other thing of what does it come to a point where you're replicating it to prove a point? Uh, so we have Don Quieto, you know, uh, Bernard, but we also have Borges here. Is Borges trying to prove a point with his fictitious author that what does it take to write a, a great story? Is Don Quixote, Don Quixote a great story? Is it influential? Does it matter? Could somebody else do just that exact same thing? Is it unique? Is it special? Could could you be the next Poe? Do you want to be the next Poe? Is there another Poe out there? Is that even possible? And I think that Don Quixote is inspiring us that you know you may find and draw inspiration from these authors that you love and you read but you can create your own universe you you can be you you don't want to be you know him be yourself let me throw let me throw okay let me throw a wrench in there just real quick just for fun i want to see how you react to this okay now cervantes when he wrote this i i don't, I don't know I'm, I'm guessing but it it's a story Right. Like it's a knight errant and he goes on adventures and there's like a sequential elements of things. The story progresses. Right. Right. Now, what Mr. Menard comes to is incomplete. He only wrote two and a half chapters and it's not one, two, three. It's like this chapter, a couple chapters later, and then he never completes it. Right. But if we if what's being told to us is true Exactly what was happening word for word was replicated, but completely out of context. He hadn't come to the conclusion of the rest of the book. He didn't have this, okay, this is the general story that I want to accomplish. I'm going to do this and this part, this and this part. He just came to fragmented elements where words meant something. And in the context of this criticism, it meant more. <laughs> yeah. But it's incomplete. It's it's part of a story that has never been told in its totality in the new Pierre Menard's approach, right? Like, what does that mean that we can have these arguments of of meaning when it's taken completely out of context and is incomplete in some regards? I think that's where it's important that stories have some type of structure. Most of the time when we have gone over streams of consciousness, I struggle because I'm used to the standard of a story. If we ever got a story from an alien civilization, I don't think we could understand it. Even if we could translate the words into Spanish, English, French, or whatever, how do we know their story structure is the setup the same as ours? And a lot of times I struggle with stories when there isn't a beginning, middle, and end, or there isn't you know this set progression that we're supposed to go to because I'm trained for that. And I think that for this story, it's kind of pointing that out that for it to be a great story, there has to be some consistency. It just can't be laundry thrown in the dryer and it's going to magically come out. 99.999% repeating forever, it's never going to happen. It has to have that great mind behind it. But, okay, so the first thing we talked about, this isn't really a story. 
It's not yep. really a beginning, middle. It's, it's kind of like an essay. It's kind of like a thought experiment. There's a pseudo imaginary narrator trying to convince us of something of another fictitious author who tried to come to the same conclusion fragmentary style of another author there's there's no story here yet we still you know we're still kind of exploring this in a very interesting way i think only because of the windmills (laughs) and for those that don't get that joke make sure you read don quixote leave us a windmill down below, if you enjoyed the conversation but aren't sure what to add, it helps the ever-hungry YouTube algorithm know that you enjoyed today's conversation. For those of you that you have stuck around this long, my name is Una. Feel free to check out the playlist down below of other Borges Talks. Peace. Peace. <laughs>